Rock Shock Jayhawk as Kansas takes another bad road loss in Big 12 play. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, folks? Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, a five times per week national college hoop show, part, of course, of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are your co-hosts. I'm Andy Patton. He is Isaac Shade. Today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by FanDuel. Folks, make every moment more. Right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Isaac, we had another just incredible weekend of college basketball games starting on Friday all the way through to some overtime action on Sunday. Trying to figure out what games to talk about on today's show was a whole ordeal as there was so, so, so much excitement throughout the weekend. We got triple overtime games. We got major upsets. We got buzzer beaters galore. We're going to get to as much of it as we possibly can here on today's show. If you guys want to Join the action more as it's happening. You can join us on our Discord channel. It is free to join. There is a link in the audio and video notes on this show. Uh, We're talking college hoops 24-7 all throughout the weekend uh, on that Discord channel. But we're going to start in the Big 12, where two of the the favorites in the Big 12, the teams most likely to win the conference, they both took pretty bad losses on Saturday. It feels odd to describe Baylor losing to Texas as a bad loss. But the way the Longhorns have been playing, that's a that's not a good loss for, for Scott Drew and the Bears. We'll get to that game, but we got to start in Morgantown, West Virginia, where the Mountaineers take home a victory over Kansas. Two road losses for Kansas now against Central Florida and West Virginia. Got to tell you, Isaac, I didn't have that on my bingo card for the Jayhawks this season. <laughs> I didn't either, Andy. Wow. Um, you know, I mean, you expect to drop games in big 12 play it's just the conference is just too good particularly on the road the problem is if you're trying to compete at the very tip top of the big 12 you can't be losing any game home road neutral mars wherever to ucf and west virginia for crying out loud like i get it if you go lose at houston or you go lose in waco whatever but andy like i but here's kind of the thing though I feel like we've seen it coming a little bit, right? Like there's the game, uh, Kansas probably should have lost to TCU. There's some of these other things um, that I I think have kind of been like, oh, there, there might be some issues in Lawrence this year. And we've talked about it with the, with the issues at shooting guard, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't an issue Mm -hmm. on Saturday. Andy, you would, you would caught it and mentioned it to me just before we started recording that the combination like Johnny Furphy had 13, El Marco Jackson, only two, but Nick Timberlake Mm -hmm. had 12. And so they, they got, they got the production out of the shooting guard spot. And so you Mm -hmm. tell me that pregame and I'm like, oh yeah, they just blitzed West Virginia, but that was not the case. Yeah, and it, it, the issues were on the defensive end of the floor. I That's think right. you, you look at, I mean, Dewan Harris only had four points, and, and certainly you'd want more from him, but he's never really been a scorer. Like, I don't think that Kansas lives and dies by how many points Dewan Harris scores. That's not the issue for them. Kevin McCullough was incredible in this game. He had 24. Hunter Dickinson had, I think, 19. Like, the guys who who you expect to score scored. Uh, you, they got some more production from the shooting guard spot, like you said, but they, they let West, West Virginia shot 57% from three. 
they shot 52% from the field. Like the, this West Virginia team has not been that good this season. Raekwon Battle had a fantastic game. They're very happy to have him kind of back in the mix after that, uh, the, the lifting of that restraining order that allows him to play. But ultimately, this is less about West Virginia and more about Kansas struggles on the road and they're struggling with not very good Big 12 teams on the road in part because of their defense. And until that issue gets fixed, the shooting guard things maybe they're maybe they found their answer there but even you know even if they, they can deal with that a little bit but if they're not able to find ways to stop teams from scoring at that kind of clip they're going to have some problems it's not going to matter yeah absolutely and and Andy kudos to you because i remember you had mentioned back as Raekwon battle was getting back around mm-hmm. the same time as Kirkisa and Farrakhan and you said look mm-hmm. These guards getting back into the mix could be a boon for yeah. West Virginia. It certainly was in this game. You mentioned Raekwon Battles, 23. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kirk Risa had 15 himself. And so yeah. some good stuff for Josh Eilert's club, who uh, you know has now won two of their last three, this one, and beaten Texas as well. Speaking of Texas, Andy, mm-hmm. let's go to that battle mm-hmm. in the state of Texas where the Longhorns get, Andy, what is a much, much, much needed win at home over Baylor you just mentioned that you thought this this Kansas game was more about Kansas not defending well what what do you make of the Texas Baylor game more about the Bears or the Horns yeah it's it's sort of a similar story Baylor's defense has been an issue for them at times this year Uh, it's been an issue honestly for a couple of years Scott Drew is phenomenal at so many things but team defense has been an issue for Baylor in the last couple of years and in this game Texas shot nine of 11 from three in the first half Nine of 11. That is obscene. As the, the broadcasters, I think they probably said this four or five times down the stretch in the first half. <laughs> right. This is a good free throw percentage. This is a good free throw percentage, and it's what they're shooting from three. Part of that is Baylor's defense just not closing out on shooters the way they should. Part of it is just like insane regression in a positive way for Texas. They just lit it up in a way that they're not typically going to do. Uh, speaking of regression, they were 0 of 8 in the second half, which I think is kind of points to that just being a bit yeah. – a fluke maybe they were just extra juiced up because they knew they needed this game and they really did they really needed this game after losing to west virginia after losing to central florida which in- incidentally is the same two teams <laughs> that's so Kansas has lost to uh, <laughs> texas really needed this and and baylor you know i think they were in a spot where they needed it too they they'd taken a loss uh, at kansas state earlier in the week they seem to really struggle with jerome tang's team not uh, exactly a surprise why with tang having been under drew for so long but uh what a what a game. Tyrese Hunter, that final shot was so beautiful. The yeah. uh, inbounds pass to Dylan DeSue, who then swings it over to Hunter. You could tell Baylor was on their heels immediately. Uh, Tyrese Hunter going downhill when the defense isn't expecting it is about the worst case scenario for Baylor. And, and it, I mean, I don't know if you were watching it live, but I, as soon as Hunter start, got across half court, I was like, oh, he's going to score. Like there's just no Baylor was not prepared to stop that final possession. And it was a fantastic, fantastic result for Texas. We've been pretty harsh on the Longhorns on this podcast. For those who have been listening regularly, you know that we were a little mystified why they continued to be in the top 25. But when their backs were against the wall and when they needed to pick up a major victory in the conference, they found a way to get it done. They sure did. And Andy, I don't know if you've looked at the Big 12 standings, but it's a little bonkers now. Kansas, Baylor, Texas. No, Houston, none of those teams are atop the standings. It's Texas Tech and K State tied at four and one. Just like we all expected, right? I mean, 100%. <laughs> and so, uh, going to be a lot of interesting stuff going forward there. Anything else on those two before we get to a, a great Discord question? 
You know, I still think that these are probably two of your top three or four teams uh, in the stand, like not just from a talent perspective. Baylor and Kansas? Yeah, Baylor and Kansas. Not just from a talent perspective, although that also. But I think they'll the, the they'll eventually separate themselves and be back in the top of that those standings when all is said and done. But uh, it's kind of proof that that there's there are no days off in the Big 12. We already kind of knew that. I think these teams kind of knew it, but it is with West Virginia at full health, with Central Florida being better than expected. Uh, it's going to be a grind night in and night out in that conference. Let's throw Houston into that mix as well. Who, uh, folks, go check out the box score from uh, Houston's opponent yeah. on Saturday. All right, Andy, here's our question from Discord from GU Big Rig, whom we affectionately like to call Gooby Grig. Uh, he <laughs> asks, which Saturday result was more surprising? And these are both uh, teams that had leads and just honestly peed yeah. the bed. Uh, yeah. UCLA building a 20 point first half lead at Arizona, only to collapse and lose by seven. Or BYU taking a 16-point halftime lead at Texas Tech only to also collapse and lose by seven. And, Andy, I should also mention Iowa State should almost be on this list, had a 19-point lead, but ultimately held on to beat TCU by one. Yeah, for me, it's the the more surprising result, I think, has got to be it's, – it's, I think it's got to be – oh, man, I don't know. Man, I mean, I'll give you my answer. You ready? Yeah, yeah give me yours. I, I, could, I could go either way. Give me yours. The more surprising anything was mm-hmm. that UCLA not sure. led, period, there. much less by 20. So let's start there. Mm-hmm. But because of that, because of how miserable they've been, mm-hmm. I almost expected Arizona to come back the entire yeah. time, right? Like I just, it was just like, it was just a matter of if there would be enough clock to get it done. And, and there clearly was Mick Cronin. Didn't he get a T in the midst of this? Like really, he like- got a T. And if you were watching the broadcast, you could see exactly what words he was saying directly <laughs> to get that technical foul. Yeah, getting some FCC fines there. And so, Andy, because of that, because of unfortunately mm-hmm. just how miserable UCLA's been, the more mm-hmm. shocking result was Texas Tech yeah. coming back to win. I tell you what, for the Red Raiders, who we just mentioned are atop the Big 12 standings right now. Mm-hmm. Not only was it a, a surprising result, but it I think it tells us something about their resolve and about maybe some of what Texas Tech has in year one under Grant McCaslin. Yeah, I think I'll, I, I'll agree. I, I'll add on to that. I, I we, we were texting during the game, and I said, I feel I never really felt like Arizona was going to lose that game. Right. So I guess that does mean I would say I just wasn't that shocked that Texas Tech came back either, I guess. Um, I'm a little bit lower on BYU than most. Yeah. I think I'm also a little bit higher on Tech than most. But BYU, as a really good three-point shooting team, having a 16-point halftime lead, I think you would expect that it would be very hard for any team to come back and beat them. BYU completely – they could not shoot in the second half of that game at all, just – the a skill that is kind of innately ingrained in that program and that roster just completely vanished. So that is a bit more surprising. I kind of didn't think either overall result was all that shocking, but I suppose that Arizona at home uh, being able to outscore UCLA by whatever it was, 20, 26 points in the second half or 24 points, whatever it was, uh, is a little less surprising because UCLA is just flat out bad this year. And then the offense just disappeared as we kind of knew that it might and here's why it's tough for BYU, Andy, is because if they win that game against Texas Tech on the road, by the way, yeah. then they're three and two in Big 12 play instead of two and three. And the reason I bring that up is because tomorrow on Tuesday, they host Houston and yeah. then Saturday they host Texas. So 
if BYU wins that game, they're in much better shape. But now they're staring down a, a three-game losing streak pretty easily here if they can't get it together. So that again, as you said, that Big 12 gauntlet always coming at you. All right, Andy. We already had the beginnings of an SEC Big Three, but after three, frankly, blowouts on mm-hmm. Saturday, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Auburn are really starting to separate themselves from the pack. And oh, by the way, it always helps to get a seven-footer eligible midseason. We'll talk more about that in just a second. Right after I tell you that this episode of Locked on College Basketball is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are rolling. We're now set with the AFC and NFC championship games. There's still plenty of time to get in on that action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets, guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. It's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. Their app is really easy to use, and they got a bunch of different ways to bet, like Same Game Parlays Live, by the way, a new Explore tab to help you find bets. Or how about tonight? It's the first big Monday of the year on ESPN. The first game, North Carolina hosting Wake Forest. The Tar Heels are eight and a half point favorites. And the second game, these same Kansas Jayhawks we've been talking about hosting Cincinnati, who's been a little bit of a revelation in Big 12 play. Same line, Jayhawks favored by eight and a half. So if you want to get in on either of those games, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Andy, in in a lot of ways, the SEC results lately have just been like, well, yeah, okay, of course, that's what we expected. Saturday was no different. Kentucky blasts Georgia 105 to 96. The score is infinitely closer than the game actually was. Tennessee ends Alabama's undefeated start to SEC play 91-71. Auburn, on the other hand, does stay undefeated with a obliteration of Ole Miss 82 to 59. By the way, Auburn and North Carolina are now the only two undefeated teams in conference play in terms of power six schools. Crazy uh, how that dwindled over the past week. And Andy, uh, after all that action, Auburn stands alone atop the SEC at 5-0. Tennessee, Kentucky, and now Alabama all tied with one loss, four wins. Andy, I think it's fair to say, all due respect to Alabama, they don't belong in the same tier with these other teams. I think we kind of saw that on Saturday in Knoxville. But they get a chance for a little bit of redemption, by the way, as they host Auburn on Wednesday night. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Andy, the biggest and perhaps most fun news and most, yeah, this should have happened a long time ago news, start this SEC conversation is Kentucky. Saturday morning announces that Zvonimir Avisic is finally, finally eligible. He gets to play. And boy, does he make an already fun Kentucky team even more exciting to watch. Yeah, what what an incredible uh, game performance! First couple of minutes, really, that Avisic had in this game. You know, we, we find out like a few hours before the game that he's eligible. It's been an incredible long time coming. I mean, this kid committed to to Kentucky. I think in like August or September, he arrived on campus in October and has just been waiting and waiting and waiting. And there's been very little communication from the NCAA. It appears they were looking into whether he got paid to play overseas. There was all sorts of just frustration for the program, obviously, for Kentucky early in the year with Aaron Bradshaw being injured, with Ugena and Yenso being injured. They really needed a Visich and didn't have him. And then when he finds out he's eligible, uh, 
Two hours later, the game starts. They play him right away. Calipari had said, hey, I'm not planning to redshirt him, but wasn't sure if he was going to play literally immediately. And he comes in, he hits three three-pointers and makes his first four shots in two and a half minutes. Two and a half. I mean, he just immediately comes in. It's like, oh, look, I'm going to dominate at this level. <laughs> like, I'm already, like, you read mock drafts now, like, a few, like, hours after the game. It's like, oh, Vesic is now a first-round pick. Like, just immediately, like, yep, this kid is that good. And the skills that were promised, he's a seven-foot-two big who can space the floor. He can shoot threes. He can block shots. He literally did all of it everything that was promised about him. And if you're a future opponent of Kentucky, if you're an SEC team, if you're a Gonzaga, I know that from the Gonzaga fan base. Uh, <laughs> if you're any team who might face them in the NCAA tournament, this is a dark day because this team was already really good without him. Their guards are phenomenal the way they've been playing lately with the freshmen kind of showing that growth, that development. Like Avisic is not going to shoot, you know, nearly perfect from the field every single game. He's not going to be 100% from the three-point line or 75% as he ultimately finished in this game. But the difference that he makes – he puts less pressure on Aaron Bradshaw. He allows Trey Mitchell to play a different role. He spaces the floor in a way that allows DJ Wagner to get downhill, which is his yeah. greatest strength yep. as a guard. Like everything that Avisic brings to this team is a clear net positive, and it is very scary what Kentucky is capable. Now they still got work to do on the defensive end of the floor. <laughs> yes, in a significant yeah. way, and Avisic will help with that. I, I'm not sure how. Like they need more help than just him. Uh, and that's a big issue still for Kentucky. But offensively, a very, very, very good offensive team just got even better. Yeah, to Andy's point, right now at Ken Palm, Kentucky is fourth in offensive efficiency and 73rd yeah. in defensive efficiency. So that could be to, to, to win the championship, like top 35 or something. Oh, man, we're, we're not to that point, yo, where I've just got that loaded into my head on. <laughs> it's, auto. It's, it's much higher than 70s. Though. But yes, I, all that to say, um, Kentucky is supremely talented, but not at the defense just isn't at a level that'll allow them to win six straight games mm -hmm. in March. So if they can fix that, uh, they could be in business. And Andy, part of it is now you finally have these three, seven footers mm -hmm. and they all do things a little bit different, which I think is, is a big win. You know, I, for coach Cal, I think about like last year with, um, who am I trying to think? Oh, with Sonogo and Klingon at UConn being able to do such different things there. Mm -hmm. um, that's a possibility. And Andy, as you think about this roster, yeah. which might be the most talented mm -hmm. now in America. And, and you think back to the summer when we were like, who's playing for Kentucky outside yeah. of the freshman class? Like to, mm -hmm. to what they were able to do with that is really, really impressive. Um, and so we're going to watch to see, they don't really have any big upcoming matchups uh, mm -hmm. at South Carolina Tuesday at Arkansas Saturday, home Florida, home Tennessee though, on Saturday, February 3rd is the next like elite yeah. tilt they have on their schedule. Should be a lot of fun. And speaking of Tennessee, uh, like we said, they go out, beat Alabama by 20. Why not? H hang 91 on the Crimson Tide. Granted, That's not shocking. No, it's not. Alabama is not a good defensive team. And I think speaking we, of not good defense, right, yeah. we, we talk about Kentucky having issues on the defensive end of the floor. Like Alabama takes that to a different level. And I think that's, <laughs> that's, right. that's, the, that's the main concern for the Crimson Tide. I think they're a decent team. I think they are kind of right below this tier of teams, as we kind of mentioned. And that's less about Alabama being not good and more about this. That's I right. mean, I have personally have all three of these teams in my top 10. Uh, of my poll and, and they're all pretty close to fifth. Like they're all right in that conversation. And, and Alabama is just not quite there right now. And this was a good example of that. I mean, uh, 
you know, you talk about the two biggest transfers that came into the conference in Dalton Connect for Tennessee and Grant Nelson at Alabama. And like Connect is is the guy. Like he he looks like the SEC player of the year, clear front runner. He scored 25 points in every one. Yeah, he backed up when we talked about him on Friday. Yeah. (laughs) He's been an absolute beast. And and while I think Alabama is a decent team and I think they're going to win a lot of games in this conference. If they can't find ways to, to not give up 90 points, they're going to have some serious issues. Yeah. 100%. They are also, we had talked earlier in the week about uh, Mark Sears tweaking an ankle for Alabama. We were hopeful that he'd be able to play. Thankfully he was, I think had 20 or so in this game. So that's always good. Like we never want to see guys injured. You love to see that Andy moving uh, over to the other sec team in the state of Alabama. Auburn just continues to prove their legitimacy. And, uh, you know, my big hope for them, I'm really curious to see, obviously we're recording this on, on Sunday. I'm curious to see if the AP poll can get it a little bit right this week and get them uh, a little bit more accurately ranked, still just sitting there with the Baylor loss and the app state loss. And, uh, you know, because of that, they've won 11 in a row. That's um, third longest streak in the nation right now. Um, just doing work. As I said, they do have at Alabama on Wednesday. So a big, big test for Bruce Pearl's Tigers. I don't know if the voters like think App State is one of the worst teams in college basketball, if they're just too slow to adjust to the I'm not sure what is causing the this Auburn team to not get the respect they deserve. I mean, they're not just beating good teams. They're obliterating them. I mean, they're, they're beating teams like Ole Miss by 20 points, like regularly. They have so many blowout victories this year. They have they run like a 10 deep rotation. Like this team is really, really, really good. And I'm not sure what it's going to take, what they're going to need to do. I mean, Ole Miss was ranked coming into this game and Auburn, I mean, just cruised to a 19 point halftime lead yeah. and just went in cruise control for the rest of the game. Like, But the, teams, should they have been ranked, Andy? No, I agree with that. <laughs> I agree with that, but if the if the actual voters and the AP decide right. Ole Miss should be ranked, and then that's they're right. like, "Well, we're not going to count Auburn's win against them because that team's not very good," that's just contradictory. Yeah, exactly. on the part of the AP voters. So I'm very curious to see where Auburn is ranked. If they're any lower than like eighth, I think it's it's a problem. Like there's there's no way there's seven teams definitively better than Auburn this season right now. I just don't see it. Agreed. Well, we have a delicious. Six-pack full of Duke tears, overtime madness, buzzer beaters, and bad, bad beats all coming up right after this. All right, Isaac, six-pack time here on Monday, as we always do. And we had, I think, 15 games or so that we wrote down and had to pare it down to six because there were so many fantastic results over the weekend. We'll start at Cameron Indoor. The Duke Blue Devils fall to Pitt. It is the first time Pitt has beat Duke on the road since 1979. And yes, Duke was missing Jeremy Roach. They were missing Mark Mitchell, but still Pitt able to go end Duke's eight-game winning streak. Blake Henson, seven for seven from three in this game, an absolutely jaw-dropping shooting performance from the Pitt forward. He also had a little taunting to do at the end of the game. You could tell that Pitt was quite happy to end that very long streak of losses uh, at Cameron Indoor. Very, very good stuff to see from Pitt. Uh, For Duke, not a loss that I think is like dramatically concerning, especially considering the absences, but uh, certainly not something they're going to want to make a trend. Yeah, I mean, uh, losing at home, even without those guys to a, a pit team that had been not playing well, had yeah. lost four of their last five before that, uh, you know, got to gotta be better. Not to mention Duke had just uh, beaten them in Pittsburgh a couple yeah, of weeks yeah. ago by like 
87 point. No, that's too big, of, but you get the point. Uh, Andy, number two in our six pack, Creighton gets a much, much needed win over Seton Hall in triple overtime, Mr. Patton. 97 to 94. Kadari Richmond had a triple double in regulation, but uh, needed 32 shots to get there. We'll take that. Always love to see Creighton actually using Ryan Kalkbrenner well. He had 28 and nine to go with seven. Blocks had 23 field goal attempts, uh, mm -hmm. but made 12 of them. See, that's what we're looking there, uh, Mr. Richmond. Andy, this is a, a big-time win for a Creighton team that, um, you know, is trying to get back up to where we thought preseason they would be um, and getting a win over Seton Hall, who's been hanging out at the top of the Big East standings with UConn, is a big, big, good win. I, the Big East loves their long, long, long extra overtime games, and this one was an absolute blast to watch. Uh, number three on the six-pack, another fantastic fun game to watch. Syracuse upsets the Canes of Miami, buzzer-beating three from Kadir Copeland. Fantastic play to set him up for the open look. Really, really fun game all around. It was close pretty much throughout. Uh, a tough loss for a Miami team that has frankly taken quite a few tough losses. They're now just three and four in the ACC. This is a team that was right at the top of the projected preseason standings, now fighting to even get back to 500 in conference play. They've lost four of their last five games. Meanwhile, Syracuse, don't look now, but they've won eight of their last 10 games. They got a relatively cush schedule in the ACC. This is a team that's probably going to end the year with a heck of a lot more wins than a lot of people might have projected in the first year of the post Jim Bayheim era. Andy, the nation's number one team gets a win on the road at Villanova. This was the team uh, on Friday we talked about was maybe the most likely of the top four to go down, but they did not go down. UConn beats Villanova 66-65. And don't look at that score and think, oh man, somebody must have made a shot or missed a shot right at the buzzer. Somebody did make a shot. It was Mark Armstrong. But Andy, it was not to, to barely win. It was to uh, cause a bunch of people with betting slips to lose their collective minds. Ultimate bad beat. UConn was favored by three and a half. We're winning by four. Mark Armstrong hits a halftime buzzer beater to cut it down to one. Yikes. We'll see if SVP is talking about that one tonight. <laughs> Tristan Newton has 25, 6, and 3 in this game. Stefan Castle, uh, just six points for him on one of five shooting. The uh, Huskies are going to need a little bit more from their star freshman. Moving back to the Big 12, we talked, Isaac teased this one a little bit to go look at the box score for Houston versus Central Florida. If any of you happen to check this one out, Central Florida made seven field goals in this game. That's it. Seven field goals. They made four three-pointers. Truly, you mean like in the first 10 minutes of the nope. game? No, I mean the entire you mean the game. the first half, right? The first mm -hmm. half. <laughs> no, uh, how about the first half and the first 10 minutes of the second half? You know how many two-pointers they had made uh, with 12 minutes to go in the entire game? So they've played 38. Zero. Zero. No, that's fake news. You're, you're <laughs> absolutely fake news not. Media. Central Florida literally through the first 30 or 28 minutes of this game did Way not add, make a math, single two-point shot. Did not make a single two-point shot. It was an absolute masterclass 
from Houston's defense. Central Florida did get 24 points from the free throw line, but they had to score somehow. Uh, they still only finished with 42 points, but it's kind of the, the perfect encapsulation of Houston's season. They play this magnificent defense. They hold a Central Florida team that, re- that picked up wins over Texas and Kansas earlier in the weeks or in the last couple of weeks. They hold them to 42 points, absolutely just destroy them on the defensive end of the floor and only win by 15 because they only scored 57 points because they shot under 35% from the field. We were talking about Kentucky having an elite offense and having a bad defense. Houston is the complete opposite end of the spectrum. They're one of the best, if not the best defensive team in the entire country. And offensively, at times they can get it going. But if Jamal Shedd's off, if LJ Cryer's off, this team does not have the horses offensively. Uh, We'll see how many more times they can beat good teams by scoring less than 60 points because I'm not sure I'd be betting on it in March. But this was a really fun game uh, to watch what their defense is capable of doing, even in the Big 12 Conference. Andy, going back to the Big East to wrap up our six-pack, Marquette, the team that uh, won the Big East regular season and conference tournament last year, I don't think that's going to happen again. We talked about it recently. They've already lost as many conference games as they did the entirety of last year, but they hang on on Saturday to win on the road at St. John's 73-72. to And if we talked about in the in the uh, Villanova-UConn game, somebody hitting a shot at the buzzer, that was not the case in this one as there was literally one point scored, Andy, in the final 90 seconds of this game. <laughs> Dennis Jenkins made free throw. Marquette somehow wins this game despite not scoring a point for the final two minutes and 55 seconds, Andy. I don't know how you pull that off. St. John's needs to score more. Also, St. John's out-rebounds Marquette 41-28, to but the problem for Rick Pitino's team is they go just 5-21 of from deep. For Marquette, some nice balance scoring. All five starters in double figures. They only got five points off the bench. They need some more of that. Great stuff from Tyler Kolek, who had been struggling lately, gets 15 and 11. Osui Godaro had 17 on a crazy efficient 8 of 10 shooting. And Andy, um, some sad news that I don't think we've yet mentioned for Marquette. Unfortunately, Sean Jones is out for the rest of the year with an ACL. Man, thoughts go out to him, who was just, I love watching Sean Jones play. He's electric, and so uh, best to him in his recovery. Andy, that's a Monday basketball show recapping a wild, wild weekend. College basketball never disappoints, folks. I'll tell you that till I'm blue in the face. As Andy said earlier, come join our Locked on College Basketball Discord. It's free. Links in the show notes. We'd love to hang out with you there. Please make sure to subscribe to the show on video and audio. Rate and review us five stars. Talk about why you love hanging out. Smash the like button so we know you're here if you're watching. As always, apologies to the lawyer family. Let's go Wildcats. And until tomorrow. Tomorrow.